11, uh, where we uh, really got down through verse 15 last time. But as my uh, mode, as my manner is, we're going to clean some stuff up in verse 15, and really 11 to 15. But for the video, this is verse 15, and uh, and the reason for the need to cleaning up is as we go now into this next section, which is verse 16 to 25. Um, Verse 16, for if the first fruits be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakers of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. And you begin to get into this illustration that Paul's going to use here now about the Gentiles, the wild olive tree, and then Israel, the good olive and so it gets kind of uh, confusing and it causes a lot of stress in people's lives. And in order to really understand what's happening and what's transpiring, you have to have verse 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 kind of solidified and clear in your mind. I will tell you, you will come to this section in Romans 11, and you will ask 10 different grace preachers what they think about it, and guess what you're going to get? 10 different answers, okay? So there's not going to be a, uh, I'm going to get you how I, I'm going to teach you how I believe and think about it, and the whys, because it's, you're here and you're my audience, so that's what's going to happen. And I, there's no really way to be dogmatic about it because you can look at it really in 10 different ways as long as you don't say certain things about it and, and we'll say as we go along. If you say that Paul in 16 to 25 here is talking about Gentile salvation... Now we're going to have a problem, okay? Because in the passage, he is not talking about Gentile salvation unto eternal life. He is not talking about uh, justification. He's already done that in chapters 1 to 5, okay? So what happens is, is the reconciliation crowd comes in, uses this passage, the crowd, the covenant theology crowd comes in, uses these passages to say that we're replacing Israel, we're really spiritual Israel, and we're X, Y, Z, and we're not that at all. And actually, why Paul is going to use language that's familiar, again, with Israel is because that is the theme that he's had in chapters 9, 10, and 11. He's, for him to switch gears here in 11 from how the context is just doesn't make sense. Why in chapter 9 he would say, you're unbelief, Israel, you're the problem. Chapter 10, you're unbelief, Israel, you're the problem. And then in chapter 11, Israel, you're unbelief, you're still the, you're still the problem, so God is now doing something different today. However, 1126, he's not done with Israel's program. He's gonna, so what happens is, is you, you, people get the saying and guys get these... Not, Nothing is new under the sun, Ecclesiastes 1. So whenever you hear someone say, I got a new thing, just pause. 
hear them out because they may have a new something to think about, but just pause and understand that really there is nothing new under the sun. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, when he goes out into human wisdom, he literally identifies every philosophical philosopher's uh, teaching and viewpoint. Now, they'll all drift from it as, you know, you, you know what they always say, when you copy from one, that's plagiarism, but when you copy from one or more, that's research, okay? So, that, and everybody does their own research, and they come up with different ideas, but Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, none of those guys came up with anything new. They just reinvented. You guys know who Dave Ramsey is? Okay, the big financial guru guy. You know that everything he teaches, Charles Givens taught in the 70s. He's just what? A better salesman than Givens. See, the principles never change. Money principles don't change. They're the same. The basics of economics doesn't change, supply and demand. But it's, how, it's what do we do with that? How do we apply that then over here, see? Everybody got upset with Reagan and the trickle-down economics, but that is not a new philosophy. That's not a new idea. Actually, uh, Caesar, uh, the Congress in, under the first Caesar in Rome in their history started the trickle-down idea, promoted it. Okay, so when you think about this stuff, know that when I teach you, I, we're gonna, I'm going to make some dogmatic statements because that's how I believe. You disagree, that's fine, as long as we're not going to say some things. And there, this section can leave you struggling if you, as long as you leave it in the context that Paul is dealing with in chapters 9, 10, and 11. What's he dealing with? The dispensational status of Israel, the dispensational status of the world. That's why we're going to look this morning primarily at verse 15, because when you get into this, and you start talking, there's two olive trees in the passage. There's a wild one, and then there's the good one. Then you have to pay attention to the pronouns, because there's the thous and the these and the yees, and then there's the thems. And if you begin to misidentify them, or if you select down into something, look at verse 13. But I speak to you who? Now, every one of us at some point say, that's the church, the body of Christ. But do you know that that is not what that, who that Gentile is? Who's the Gentile? The Gentiles. The nations out there. That's who he's the apostle to. He's the apostle to the nations. Look over at chapter 16. I know when we came through verse 13, we didn't spend a lot of time on uh, Paul's apostleship because we're pretty settled with that. But look, look here if you look at verse 25. 1625, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the, everla to the commandments of the everlasting God, now watch, made known to just the believers. Made known to who? All nations for the obedience of faith. So in 1113 when he says, I am the apostle of the Gentiles, He's not just talking about the church. He's talking about who? All nations, see. And when you begin to adjust our thinking that way, then verse 15, verse 16 and following, he's not talking about the justification of Gentiles. 
He's not talking, he's, he's talking about, he's using terminology that's familiar to Israel to under, let them know that what is their status before God today? Cast away, verse 15. I'll let back, back to eleven fifteen. So I, I'm going to encourage you to, to shift your thinking here that this section has nothing to do with eternal life. It has nothing to do with having your sins forgiven. It has nothing to do with the justification issues at all. He's already dealt with that in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. What does chapter 3, verse 9 say? We've concluded that what? All. The Jew and the Gentile to be what? A sinner. We don't have to, con- we don't have to build that case again. Rather now what Paul is doing is he's making a reference to the status of the Gentile world today. In the dispensation of grace. Let me say it like that. In the dog. Okay? The D-O-G. All right? This is what's going to be critical as we move into 16 to 25. Because he's not dealing with justification issues or sanctification. He's dealing with a status shift. Paul has already demonstrated to the reader that justification is over here and it's to who? All men. Just reminding ourselves. Ten minutes of review here. Okay? So what has he done? Chapter 9, they stumbled. They stumbled over the identity of their Messiah. That resulted in the crucifixion of Calvary. Remember that? Okay? Here's the line. Here's the cross. They stumbled. They don't stumble at the cross. They stumble over the Messiah. It results in the cross. Then we have the Acts ministry, and what do they do there? They stumble there too, Peter says. Peter says he's going to sit till it's time to make his enemy. And they, what did they do to Peter? What did they do to the apostle James? They kill him, trying to shut down the word of God. They kill him. They persecute Peter. They throw him in jail. They do, they're, they're an attack. And this is Israel. The Gentiles are down here. By the way, the Gentiles have been doomed to a status. We'll look at it in just a minute. But that, that doom was back here in Genesis 11, Tower of Babel, Romans 1, cut them off, gave them over, gave them over, gave them. So the Gentiles, but now they stumble, and then they fall. Remember that? The historical fall of Israel, Acts 7, the stoning of Stephen. Then in 11.11, we learn about a provoking ministry, which was what we talked about last time. But we learn really about the diminishing of the nation of Israel. And as, you, as we looked, Acts 13, Acts 28, Acts, I'm sorry, 18, Acts 28, he's moving further and further away from who? Jerusalem and Israel. Acts 28, he's in Rome. Acts 18, he's up in the Corinth area, he's in Europe. Acts uh, 13, he's in the Asia Minor territory. Now, at the end of 28, 9 to 28, Israel is now what? What's her status? of no import with God. They are what? They're just like another nation out there, another people group. So when we come into here, what we're learning is with the fall of Israel, that's Acts 7, God changes the program, 7, 8, 9, Paul, 
And because of that, there's now a status change in the way that God is dealing with the nations, the Gentiles. This will be important to remember, by the way, just I'll do a lot of by the ways because I'm trying to... You, when you get into a debate about Romans 11 with someone, you've got to have so much information floating through your head, but have it in the right order. In Acts 15, Peter and the boys meet up with Paul, don't they? They have a big conference. Galatians 2, Paul says, The conclusion of the conference, I gave the right hand of fellowship. We made an agreement that I would go to who? Do you remember? The heathen. Well, who are the heathen? Unbelievers. But that consists of who? A Jew and a Gentile. Where was Peter and them going? To the circumcision. Well, who would that be? Believers. But the only believers on the, on the board were little flock members. So, so you've got to put that piece on the board. You can't just go heathen and just say Gentile. No, we are a Jew and a Gentile. Because what's he doing today? He's establishing the church, the body of Christ. That's what he's doing. Now, what Paul's doing in Acts 11 is he's demonstrating the status change. Okay? But then he's going to say, one day when we're gone, what's he going to do with Israel's program? 11.26. He's going to crank that bad boy right back up. And it's going to pick up, if I had the chart up, right where Acts 7 fall was. Okay? So as we go through this, again, you can have your own idea, and that's great, as long as you're not going to be saying we're talking about things that we're not talking about. So leave Romans 11, 16 to 25 in Romans 11. Don't try to put it somewhere where it doesn't belong. Can we do that? Okay. So go back to look at, uh, let's start back up at verse 11 and just kind of get some. So when, with the fall of Israel, you, we have the start of the, we have a dispensational change. That enables the Lord to reach down and talk to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus. Remember in 1 Timothy there, he says, I was a blasphemer. He didn't qualify for justification under Israel's program. So in order for God to offer justification, offer his salvation to, the, to Saul of Tarsus, what does he have to do? Change the status of the world, not just Israel, but of everybody. And when he changes that status, that's Acts 7, now what can he do? Acts 26. Look, look at Acts 26. I'm doing a lot of talking, aren't I? I? I'm not yelling at anybody. I was told last week you yelled a lot. And uh, I, I'm not yelling. I just get excited about this because, and, and because you don't, I have goosebumps right now all over me. This stuff is so exciting when you catch it, and you catch it in its proper order. Look at Acts 26. Uh, we're just going to jump in. Look at verse 16. This is Saul recounting for King Agrippa the vision. He says, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen. What has he just seen? Who did he just see? He saw the risen, ascended Lord Jesus Christ the son of the living God. That's who he saw. You know what he saw? He saw the nail prints. He saw the crown. He saw the side. He was able to do what 
Doubting Thomas did. You know, really Thomas wasn't doubting, but what Thomas did, he went up and t- he saw him on the road. And of the, those things in which I will appear unto thee. What's that promised? More's coming. But when he saw the Lord, because we run to the next verse real quick, verse 16. When he says, what, what did he see when he saw the Lord? The propitiation, didn't he? Romans 3. He saw, he was, he saw his gospel. He's getting the information about his gospel. Look over verse 17, delivering thee from the people, that's Israel. By the way, that's unbelieving Israel. Okay? And from the Gentiles unto whom, what? Now I said, so when was, he, when was his commission? Right there, Acts 9. When was his conversion? Acts 9. Well, how do you know that? Well, verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. What's the, who's the only individual to turn anyone from darkness to light? It's that glorious gospel that we have. And the light, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, and the light shines in on the hearts. See that? And from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive what? Well, how in the world do you get forgiveness of sins? You, in Acts 13, Paul says, the law of Moses doesn't forgive the sin. Only Christ does. So when you come back to Romans 11, what we're seeing here in this issue that's happening here is we're, God is, there's a status change. Verse 11, 11, 11. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall. Now watch something. Salvation has come unto who? The Gentiles, the nations out there. For to provoke them to jealousy. Now, we talked about the provoking last time. Two ways, jealousy and emulation. We don't understand what jealousy is, envy. We went back in the Acts and we saw where the Jews were, in, they envied Paul. So they blaspheme and contradict him. But then the issue of emulation is a copycat. Emulate. You, you've got to get saved, Jew, the same way a Gentile has to get saved now in the status change. Keep reading. By the way, salvation has come unto who? The Gentiles. Verse 12. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the who? See how he uses that word world? And then in verse 15 he's going to say reconciling of the world. Now the world is what? Rich. And the world doesn't know it. Man, you think about that. The world is rich. How are they rich? They're t- because salvation, God's salvation is now sent to them without Israel in the middle. Now, he's, he's, when you think about that, he's not saying that all the Gentiles believed, is he? What, remember Romans 3, 22? It's unto all and upon all them that what? Believe. See, The world, he's not saying that the world has been justified from their sins. The potential is there, but they haven't been. Because what does the world do? If you talk about, right now there's a gentleman that he gives us our McDonald's order through the window, and I'm in a tie, and he goes, 
going to church? I said, yes, sir. He goes, are you Catholic or Christian? I said, I'm Christian. What are you? He goes, I'm Christian. I'm like, well, great. Well, you know, I got to keep going. I can't really talk to him. So I, next time, make a mental note, what will I have when we go through again? Piece of information. Here, stick this in your pocket. Talk to you later. Here's my business card. Blah, blah, later. Why? Because what does the world do? The world rejects you at every, but they are what? They're rich. And by the way, they're rich because they have you, the church, the body of Christ. See, you're wealth, you're, you are someone's richness. <laughs> I know we don't think about ourselves that way, but watch what Paul does here. He's, he's talking about God can now be rich to the world. Why? Because he changed the dispensational status. He changed the status of the world. The world is rich, yet they don't know it. Now, Paul calls the world a present evil world, doesn't he? See? But what is the status of the world? They're rich. They just don't know it. They don't understand how rich they are. By the way, keep in the back of your mind, grace and peace. Okay? Keep reading verse 12. And the diminishing of them, the riches of the who? Gentiles. Again, that is not the church, the body of Christ. That's who? That's the world. It's, it's everybody. See, you follow what I'm saying? I'm trying to get you to see here. We're not talking about the church. We're talking about who? All mankind now. The Gentiles are able to enjoy the riches of God. So the question is, is how can the unsaved masses out there enjoy the riches of God? Well, what does he say? What does Paul say in the beginning of every epistle? Grace and peace from the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? What's the message from God today? Grace and peace, mercy, long-suffering. You see, God, they... God, you know what God, when, you know when God says grace and peace, that's not a fancy hello and goodbye and love you and shalom and all that good stuff, okay? Now, granted, he does that, but that's, you know what, you know what that, that proclamation of grace and peace is? God says, I'm at peace with you. When I should be at war, because you are my enemy, see, but I'm not, I'm at peace with you. See, that gives, man, I ought to give you goosebumps. If it doesn't, I'm going to check your temperature. Where's that, where's that shooter at? We'll get him, you know. Because that's exciting. Because he could look at you as what? As an enemy. But he doesn't. He says, and Paul says, look, they fell. And because they fell, salvation, God's salvation has gone out to the whole world. They are rich. They just don't know it. So we're going to take the folks that believe him, we're going to make them ambassadors, and what is our message as ambassadors? Grace and peace. That's our message. Could you imagine preaching grace and peace to a world that all they see is hatred and wrath and indignation? And you're able to come in and say, hey, let me tell you about a guy who loved you so much that he died for you, and being justified, we have... Peace, Romans 5.1, with God. 
That's wonderful. Come over to 1 Timothy 3. I just, I just want to think about this with you. Again, before we go diving into and get, you know, flat, uh, 1 Timothy 3. The world is rich. The world can enjoy the riches of God. Look at 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul here. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the who? The living God. Where is the living God today? In his church, in his body. See that? How fortunate the world is to have Southwest Bible Fellowship sit on the corner of 10th and Mitchell. Exactly. Think about it that way. I was reading through Philippians the other day, and you know how he says to the church at Philippi? I changed it to the church at Southwest Bible Fellowship. Make, personalize that bad boy. How rich is this community to have us here, as long as we're doing what? What we ought to be doing, see? If we're over here in trappings that we don't belong in and doing stuff we're not supposed to do, then we're not very rich to the community. Now, the community may think they are, but really they're not, are they? If you teach a works gospel, you're not helping anybody, see? Again, the reaction isn't always one of appreciation. Come back to Romans 11. What, what's the reaction? <laughs> Hatred. Paint on the walls, you know, and do every day. They don't like that. Why? Because they don't understand. They don't have the spiritual, they don't have the Holy Spirit and able to understand what's going on. So, verse 13, 11, 13, what does Paul do? For I speak to you Gentiles. He's talking to the Gentile world. That's my point. He's talking to a very broad group. He's not just referring to the church, the body of Christ, but in light of Israel being cast away, in light of Israel fallen, no longer God's people, the fact that Israel is diminishing away, God is now able to do something in and through the world without Israel. Because what is Israel's condition? They're just another na national group. They're just another bunch of sinners now. They don't have that special status. Okay, verse 14, we'll get more into this here as we go. For if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. What's Paul's goal? To save some of them. Who's the them? His flesh. See that? See how that pronoun them? See that? Got to start paying attention to pronouns. By the way, verse 13, for I speak to you, Gentiles. See that, you, and then them. If you look there, well, I get ahead of myself, so let's not do that. Verse 15, <laughs> stay the course. I, I tell you what, you get into this, and again, I've listened to about 30 different preachers on this section. And only a couple of them sounded somewhat similar. <laughs> Okay, you pull, the, you pull the, uh, the commentaries, I can open my case back there for you, and you know what you get? You get some that do talk about it, and, some that, and a lot of them don't. 
You know why? Because they don't acknowledge Paul's distinctive ministry. They don't acknowledge the fact that, the, that Israel fall. Rather, you know what they say? You and I are spiritual Israel, and Israel is really a code word for church, the body of Christ, and they use all this mumble-jumble stuff over here. Now, they don't do it in the commentaries. They do it over here in their other writings, see? Because when you pull the commentary out, you're looking. They don't say that because they need you to buy the commentary. They say it over here, you know, with everybody else. Look at verse 15. Again, here's kind of our focus. So that was 25 minutes of get you to here. For if the casting away of them, who's the them? Israel. Okay? Be the reconciling of the world. What shall receiving of them be but life from the dead? When he says there, the casting away of them, that's the unbelieving Israel. That's the nation of Israel, the apostate nation. Again, he, and then he says the reconciling of the world. He's not talking about justification. He's not talking about in the reconciling of the world. He's not talking about justification unto eternal life, having your sins forgiven, and a status in, in the church, the body of Christ. But what he is talking about is changing the status of the world. And that's the critical part here. And it hangs on that word, reconcile. Okay? And that issue there. But before we get into that, what is the status of the world? And again, I try to catch here the, the whole world. Come over with me to Ephesians chapter 2. The world. Is the whole world responding positively to the message of grace? No. Okay? Yet God is what? He has reconciled the world. Well, wait a minute, then that doesn't mean he's done what? Saved everybody, see? And that's what the universal stuff gets into. And they use these and they say, see, look, the whole thing. Because they, that issue of reconcile, that word reconcile. Now, I'm not a Greek guy. You know that. So I ain't going to give you no Greek. Okay, good. You're welcome. But I will show you something in Romans 5 that helps you understand what that word reconcile means. What is the condition of the Gentile world in time past? Ephesians 2, verse 11. What is it? Wherefore, remember that ye, being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, Gentiles, not church the body of Christ, but what? Gentile. I, I don't know if you think about this, but I do. Abraham was a Gentile. Do you know that Abraham was a Gentile to the day he died? All he has is the promise that his seed line is going to be where everything's going to get carried out. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. He wasn't a Hebrew. He's a Gentile. Hebrew, Jew, all that terminology shows up after the exodus out of Egypt, where when Israel goes across the Red Sea, that nation is born. Okay? When the nation is born now, now what do we have? Now we have a Hebrew nation. Now we have a Jewish nation. Prior to that, everybody's a what? A Gentile. You know that? We all one blood. We're all of the same. We all got Adam as our daddy. We're all one. God is, what, is, who, is who reached in in Genesis 17 and said, I'm going to erect a middle wall now. I'm going to partition out man. 
when he does that, and he puts the circumcision on one side and the uncircumcision on the other, do you know what he doesn't do? Jew, Hebrew, he says, Gentiles are now divided, circumcision, uncircumcision. You know, think about your pronouns and nouns. Are you with me? What's the status? Verse 11. You've got name-calling, don't you, who are called uncircumcised by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. That at that time, what time? In the past, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You go back to Genesis 17, and what does God say? If he doesn't take on this new sign of circumcision, he's cut off from everything I've just promised you, Abraham, in your seed. That promise is back in Genesis chapter 12, when Abraham was a Gentile. That's why Paul, in Romans 4, presses out the dual fathership of Abraham. Why? Because prior to Genesis 17, what was Abraham? He's a Gentile, he's uncircumcised. Genesis 17, he's circumcised, and now we got something going underneath that issue. See how God, there's a dispensational shift. A dis, disp, dispensing of information now is shifting. What's God doing in Genesis with Abraham? Setting up his nation. That's what he's doing. He's letting everybody else just hit the road, Jack. Don't you come back no more, no more. You're on your own. But now, could a Gentile in the Old Testament come across the divide and become a circumcised? Yeah. We have a great picture in Rahab, don't we? But what did Rahab claim? I bless you, you bless me. And that's a picture. I think we were talking the other day about why. Are, what about the other Gentiles? We, have, we don't need them in Scripture. We have a picture in Rahab. We have a picture in Ruth with Naomi. We have pictures. Because, so, because what is the goal in the Old Testament with the Gentile? Get them converted. Get them saved over here. Why? Because there's my nation, and we're going to go through the nation. But until then, what are you? You're cut off. You're without God. You, you have no hope. You're without God in the world. What's the condition of the world in time past? By the way, this is time past. What's the condition back there up to Acts, up, up to Acts 7, Acts 9? This is the condition. So in order for God back here to go talk to the Gentiles, man, we just saw this in Mark 7 with the Syrophoenician woman. That, that little lady... She comes up and she calls him Lord. She says, the children must first, he says, the children first must be filled. Not fed, filled. And then she says, yeah, but the dogs sit underneath the table and eat the crumbs. You know that the dogs are supposed to be there? These are the dogs. You're the Gentile is supposed to be there. If it wasn't, then where would the dog be? kicked out, wouldn't be there, would be gone, wouldn't even be in the conversation. Follow that? You're supposed to be there back here, but who are you coming through? You're coming through Israel. Follow that? That's the condition. That's what Ephesians 2.11 is saying. The condition back there, the status of the Gentile world is you got no hope, you're without God, and your only hope is to come over here and go through 
That middle wall, by the way, it's circumcision. Let me say it like that. And get in. Go through the door. There's two doors in that wall that you can go through. Now look at verse 13. But now, uh-oh. But now, ye who were far off, but now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, I, I love, you've got to love Scripture. Who sometimes, see that? We're far off. Because you weren't always a far off in the Old Testament. Abraham was not far off. He was nigh. And he was what? A Gentile. See, that? he was uncircumcised when his faith was counted for righteousness. Ye who were sometimes, Peter says in Acts 15, and James repeats it, and he says, the Lord did visit the Gentiles to call out a people. You know who he's talking about? Abraham. See? Now, keep reading. By the way, Jonah, Nineveh, that whole town of Nineveh converted from being a Gentile to being a Jew. Why? Because they believed the word from Jonah, and God forgave them. And you know what they did? They moved from Gentile status in God's eye to being a nation of the Hebrews of the Jews, a component in them. Fantastic. Anyway, I told you, stuff gives you goosebumps. We ain't going to never get finished today, so you got to come back next week, okay? But look at verse 13. So, with the, again, with the casting away of Israel, the fall of Israel, one of the results is the reconciling of the world. The world could only be reconciled when Israel is cast away. That's the point. So the reconciling of the world is that dispensational removal of all the barriers between God and the world. With the fall, this is done away with. You, you with? You, okay? The middle wall of partition, verse 14, for he is our peace who hath made both one. Who would be the both? The Jew and the Gentile. He's made them what now? One. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. That's the issue of circumcision, Genesis 17. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity. The enmity, that's not a good sound, is it? See, the middle wall is down. The law has been satisfied. And now what is he making? Verse number 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body. How? By the cross, not at the cross. The new Bibles change that to at. At means point in time. That would mean that the body started there. And that isn't true. But by the cross, the means that he's using. Having slain the enmity thereby. The end of verse 15, Twain, one what? New man. What's God doing today? He's creating a new creature. He's creating a new man New for the goal of filling up, populating out the heavenly places and bringing that. Okay? So the reconciling of the world. Come over to Romans chapter 5. So the time passed, the Old Testament, the middle wall of partition is up. Christ comes. Think about the history. He dies on the cross. The Holy Spirit comes and ministers to Israel through the little flock, Acts 2 to 7, carries it out. The fall of Israel happens, Acts 7, that takes place. And the 
provoking, the diminishing of Israel carries on there, 9 to 28. Meanwhile, the world is now, what? Reconcilable to God. The barriers are gone. The world out there is that Gentile world. And it, in Romans 9, you remember when we looked over there how the Gentiles... They were, the, they were that reshaped into that vessel of honor when Israel is reshaped into the vessel of dishonor. Fascinating. So the casting away of Israel results in the reconciling of the world, the change in the status. Now, let's think about the word reconcile just real quickly here. Look at Romans 5 and look at verse 10. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The word reconcile, and again, I'm not going to do a Greek dance with you and all that. Just look at the word, rec, R-E, with. The con, C-O-N, that's against. And then the end of that, the sile, that's to, to call. So what are we doing? We are calling back together or restoring to a friendly status. Okay? So the definition in the English is to restore back to a favorable status. But you know what? You didn't need the dictionary. Just read the, read the section. What, 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 look at verse 6. For when we were yet without strength... In due time, Christ died for the who? So who were you? You were an ungodly. Verse 10, for if when we were, what? Enemies. You see how you're ungodly? You're enemies. Uh, you're, verse 8, but God committed his love toward us, and not while we were yet, what? Sinners. See, you're not a friend of God. But now you're what? You're reconciled to him. You have your status, actually verse 11, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the, what? Atonement, the at-one-ment. See, and I know what the new Bibles do, move that back to reconcile, but that's, and, it, and yes, it's the same Greek word that can be translated atonement, but how did I get there? How did I get the at-one-ment? He changed my status. From enemy to friend. And that's the issue here. Now, in Paul's epistles, there are four different reconciliations. I want to give them to you here so you have them. The first one is the issue in 1115, the reconciling of the world. Okay? The second one is the reconciling of the Jew and the Gentile into one body. Ephesians 2, 16 and, 15 and 16 there. The fourth one is reconciling of all things. I missed one in there, didn't I? Uh, it's your reconciliation. I'm sorry. It's, it's you being reconciled. <laughs> that helps to have the, the two in there. Sorry. Okay, now come over to 2 Corinthians. I, I, obviously, I'm going to hit on all of them, but I want to talk about the reconciling of the world. Come over to 2 Corinthians 5. 
And if you've done any thinking about the reconciling of the world, this is the passage that ought to come to mind. It ought to come forefront into your brain. Second Corinthians 5, uh, verse number 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. If you want to be a new creature, where do you got to be? In Christ. How do I get in Christ? I trust Paul's gospel. Okay? I'm in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You need to have written by that verse, in as big as letters as you can write, the word identity. Because that's your identity. Okay? Therefore, if any man be, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 18, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Notice that. We have a ministry of what? Re what's the ministry? That's going to be verse 20, our ambassadorship. But what is the word of reconciliation? What is the ministry of reconciliation? God has changed your status to now that you are savable. Grace and peace, and here's Calvary, the gospel, and off you go. Who would have all men to be saved? and come to the knowledge of the truth. So when you run into someone who is saved, what do they need to have hit upside the head? Knowledge of the truth. See, he's got you covered. Look verse, verse 18. Verse 19. To wit, so here it is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, let's think about this. He's not imputing. Not. He's not collecting on the debt that's owed by mankind. And what is owed by man? Wrath. Death. The day of the Lord. I'm not imputing that. I'm not holding that. I'm not collecting that. Think about Acts 7. When Stephen looked up there, I, we spent the time I showed you, and he sees the Lord standing. But before that, he, it says he sees the glory of God. And I showed you that issue of the glory is those, that angelic host standing, ready to come back and pour out the day of the Lord, the wrath, the judgment. P Peter says, sit until your enemies are made your footstool, Acts 7. And now in Acts, I'm sorry, Acts 2, Acts 7, he stands. It's time to do what? come and clean out his enemies okay and you go in and you study his second coming it's not a worldwide annihilation he does it in a lot of pictures and types in israel in the middle east there and he impacts the world why because what's the goal back here of israel's program gentile salvation well if i kill all the gentiles then guess who we don't have we don't have any gentiles to save so it's so you got to remember that I, I that's a little rabbit trail for you okay Come, come over, you're in 2 Corinthians 5. Hold on here, run back to Romans 9, because you've got to think about this. He's ready to come back and pour out his wrath. Acts 7, look at Romans 9. Just, again, you just remind ourselves of this. I tell you, folks, when you get into this, you've got to have a lot going through that little brain of yours. It chugs through mine, and I'm trying to get it to chug through yours. Look at Romans 9, look at verse 22. What if God, watch, Willing to show his wrath and to make his power known. Isn't that interesting? What was God willing to do in Acts 7? Show his wrath. Make his power known. You see that? He was willing to do it. You know what he was willing to do? Come back and destroy his enemies. 
He was willing to do that. Come back and pour out the wrath on them. Why? Because they, it, was justice. it was justice that they needed. They deserved it. I know what man says, oh, we didn't, we didn't know. We went through all those excuses in Romans 1 to 5. You know, as man lays it out, oh, we didn't know. God's not merciful. And God says, no, I'm willing to pour it out on you. Now keep reading the verse. Endured with, what's that word? Much long-suffering. The vessels of wrath fitted to the... He didn't just say endured with long-suffering. He did it with what? Much. Can you imagine what kind of long-suffering that is? That he's got the word much in front of it? You think you suffer long. We've got a bunch of idiots running around this world today. And you've got to put up with them. I got it. And I'm probably one of them. But he goes, I've got to do that with everybody. I've got a much more... <laughs> I got much, verse 23, and that he, and that he might take no, uh, make known the what? The riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had before uh, prepared unto glory. Notice that. How rich is the world? It's a much long-suffering rich. See, he could have easily, he was right. Now go back to 2 Corinthians 5. He was right to pour out his wrath. He was just in standing to come back and pour out his wrath, Acts 7. But because he interrupts the program, changes the status of the world to save reconcilable, change that status to a favorable status in his mind, now what can he pour out? Grace, peace, long much long-suffering, and salvation, and mercy, But he couldn't do that over here because that program called for him to do what? Pour out his wrath. Now, because he changed the status of the world, he reconciled the world. The world back here was not reconcilable because Israel was in the way. But where was Israel? They had fallen. They're cast away. They're apostate. And he says, nope. We're going to change, we're going to remove the barriers, and we're going to change the condition. Verse 19, not imputing their trespasses unto them. He's not not collecting the debt. By the way, not imputing the trespasses. Do you remember a passage in Romans 5 where death reigned from Adam to Moses because there was no law? Remember that? Romans 5, come on, you're looking at me goofy. You got to, don't look at me goofy. My dad used to, uh, anyway, Romans 5, verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no, is there a law today? Or has the law been dealt with? It's been dealt with. It's been answered. There's no law today. There's no rule today that God, that says God has to pour out his wrath. Why? Because he, he nailed it to the cross, Colossians 2. He, come out here, he took away the enmity, Ephesians 2. He answered what the law demanded. We've already studied in Romans 9, 10, and 11, the end of the law is who? Christ. See? So when you look at 2 Corinthians 5, 19, and I know what the guys use, that they, he's not imputing and all this nonsense that's running around out there. Just stay out of that. I tell you what, the best thing you can do is turn YouTube off. 
and Facebook off, except for me. Okay, stay, leave it here. No. Okay, just because what happens is, well, anyway, another subject. Verse 20. Now then we are, what? Ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. And there's the second reconciliation, the individual. Don't, by the way, don't think that God won't collect on the debt. That's what 2 Peter 3 says. You think he's slack, men are, they think God's not going to collect. He will collect just right now. What's he doing? Much long-suffering. To suffer us is a much, that's a much more. <laughs> think about that. Two, over 2,000 years he's paused the wrath. And by the way, he's not clicking going, all right, we'll give him another year. So let's see. Another year. Now he He's operating in his grace and peace. And he says, you know what? I want you to be reconciled. 520. Be ye reconciled. I need you to be in Romans 1 to 5 and have your status moved from sinner and enemy and ungodly to righteous and holy and acceptable and well-pleasing and blessed and accepted in the beloved. See that? Why? Because you have a job to do. An ambassador. You know why he leaves you on this oh wonderful planet Earth? You got a job to do. Look at 521. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's your individual reconciliation. Okay? If you look quickly at if so the first reconciling is that issue of Romans eleven fifteen reconciling of the world. What does he do? He changes the status of the world so that he can now remove Israel, remove the barrier, and come over and deal directly with the Gentiles through the ambassadorships of the church, the body of Christ, and the ministry given to the church, the body of Christ, the church of the living God. Okay. Now, the third one, just real quickly, Ephesians 2, just so you see these. Ephesians 2, verse uh, 15 and 16. The, the third issue is the reconciliation of the Jew and the Gentile into one body. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having the slain, the enmity thereby. This is the, the function of the one new man, the new creature. What are we? We're not a Jew and a Gentile. We're not bond and we're not no longer bond. Galatians 3, 28. No, I just had it and it, I'm hurrying because we got five minutes and I got another hour. Uh, literally, you, you know, I've clipped out so much to look at because I don't want to get bogged down, but I don't want to. Uh, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the idea. There's no longer a racial barrier. There's no longer a, a economic barrier. There's no longer any barriers in humanity. They, are, they all can come to Calvary. The, what is the song? The, foot, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. No man stands higher than I. Man, that is grace and peace if I've ever heard it. Now come over to Colossians 1 because here's the fourth one. 
the fourth of these, Colossians 1 and verse 20. Coloss- and this is, the reconcilia- this is a future reconciliation, Colossians 1.20. This is the reconciliation of all things. Verse 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. Okay, Paul, what are the all things? By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. All right, well, what's the things in earth and things in heaven? Verse 16. What's, in, what's verse 16? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be. So here are the things he's talking about. What's he talking about? Thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. What's he talking Government, the governmental structure of the universe is going to be one day reconciled back under the headship, the kingship, the lordship of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Eternal, Ephesians 1.10, exactly. So you've got that. Now, let's go back to 11.15. And just kind of close some comments here. And then the goal next time is to dive into 16 to 25. Okay? Romans 11.15. The reconciling of the world has to do with the world having its status changed. That takes place when Israel falls. When they fall out of favor with God. Therefore, they are literally not my people anymore. Okay? Then God, that allows God to break down all the dispensational barriers. You and I, today, in the age of grace, we live in a time period where the world has had its status changed before God. That's never been the case before. You, By the way, you and I live in a time period where we have the completed word of God. It was never before. It is now with Paul. So today the world is what? Savable because Israel is what? Fallen, cast away. They've diminished away. They are no longer the issue. Now the issue is grace and peace. The issue is all men get saved. The issue is come to some knowledge of the truth. The issue is your ambassadorship. The issue is having the life of Christ live out through you. That's the issue. Okay? And again, you have to remember time passed. You didn't have that opportunity. You were, the little acronym in Ephesians 2.11 is washed up when you work it out. You were all washed up. Why? Because you were without God, without, you didn't have an opportunity on your own. Now, you do through Israel, yes, but on your own, you didn't. You see, it took Rahab dealing with the two spies to be okay. It took Nineveh to deal with Jonah to be okay. It took Ruth to deal with Naomi and Boaz to be okay. See, they're doing it in their proper steps. Okay? Now, we got two minutes before, as we get into verse 16 and following, I want you to catch the pronouns, okay? In 16 to 25, remember that Paul is talking about the Gentile world. He is talking to, verse 13, I speak to the Gentiles. He is talking to the Gentile world. He's not just talking to the church, the body of Christ. We get it. We get the receipt of it because it's in our book. It's right there in his epistle. But who's he talking to? Everybody. 
because there's going to be a wild olive tree and a good olive tree, and there's going to be some branches, and they're going to, by the way, they use this stuff to tell you you can lose your salvation because you can be broken off. And it's like, anyway, just notice, notice the pronouns quickly. Verse 13, for I speak to you, who? Gentiles. Verse 17, and if some of the branches be broken off and thou, who's that? Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them. Who's the them? Well, verse 14, Paul's already used it. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them, which are my flesh, and might save some of them. So who's the them in the context? The them is Israel. The thou is the Gentile. See that? So he's going to use this thee, thou, ye, over here to the Gentiles, and he's going to use a them to talk about Israel. So as you go through, and I'll be honest with you, where most people, when they go through this, miss it, is they miss the pronouns. That's what they do. When he says thou, he's talking about the Gentile world. That's what he's, see, they'll say thou, this, thou, that, little flock, and they butcher it because they miss, literally, in my estimation, they miss the pronouns. We're not going to miss them, I hope, okay? As we go through it, we'll, again, we'll start next time. Just remember, the world is now reconciled to God. The status has changed. And Paul is now going to pull out of Israel's history the issue of the tree, the first fruit, the lump, the fatness, and all of this. And we'll look at that. We'll diagram it out. I'll show you where it is in Israel's history. That's the plan anyway. You know, the best laid plans are great until the first bullet's shot, and then it, the plans go out the window, right? That's what they say. Well, that's the plan, okay? And if I don't, say, hey, wait a minute. You said you're going to do that, and you can remind me, okay? Just remember where we're at. All, the status for mankind has been changed so that he can now work through the body of Christ and not the nation of Israel because what did they do? They have fallen. They're in complete apostasy. They are useless. They're worthless. They're of no gain to anybody, okay? Ah, oh, man, I'm two minutes over. Doc. I was working on it. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the insight as we study this critical passage in our thinking, that we would just have it clearly, and clearly laid out in our minds where that we can be persuaded of the things that are here So and adjust our thinking accordingly. Okay? In your name we pray. Amen. All right.